If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask if you'd open to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing. uh, We're in week 3 of our uh, sermon series on identity. Uh, This morning's message is called Identity Secured. I'm going to start uh, by just kind of linking us a little bit to what Pastor Marlowe spoke about last week in week 2 of our series. This morning, I'm hoping that we can drill down and figure out how do we define our worth, who we are. And I ask you that question just to ponder for a moment in your minds. For you, how do you define your worth? Where do you go? What is the source that you go to to find out who you are? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this, we, as in the church, those who have a relationship with Jesus, have this hope as an anchor for the soul. When it's speaking of this hope, it's talking about our future in Christ. What Pastor Marlowe talked about last week, we talked about our identity marked, that we are sealed and marked by the Holy Spirit for Christ. As he spoke about those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus, our future and our eternity is marked. We are sealed by God's Spirit and have a place reserved in heaven for eternity with Christ. This future, the promise and hope of eternity with Christ, Hebrews tells us, is an anchor for the soul. And he uses this wording specifically firm and secure. I ask you this morning, what does it mean to be secure? What does that term actually mean for an individual if they are secure? I bargain to say that for the majority of us, we actually would have an easier time defining and fleshing out what it means to be insecure. And if you're having a hard time With picturing that, I want you to go back to when you were in junior high. (laughs) Students this morning, if you are in junior high, I want to encourage you, it gets better. My I remember junior high really well, and it those were the toughest years of my life. Because you talk about insecure identity. Not sure who you are, trying to figure this out. For me, I kind of had enough giftings and abilities and a type of personality that I could kind of fit in with all different kinds of groups. But I never, through my entire junior high experience, and truthfully, most of the way through high school, never actually felt like I truly fit anywhere. Day to day and even class to class could be up and down as far as if I felt okay, if I was scared, if I was unsure who I thought I was, fluctuated so dramatically. What does it mean to be secure for an individual to have their identity secure? The word itself, secure, uh, has this definition. It means assured in opinion or expectation, having no doubt. To be free from danger, free from risk or loss. 
affording safety or a secure hideaway. It is to be it is trustworthy, dependable, a secure foundation. The verb uh, could mean to relieve from exposure to danger, to act to make safe against contingencies, to put beyond hazard of losing or of not receiving, to be secure, to be fastened. How do we quantify who we are? In your life today, no matter what age you are, no matter what gender, no matter what you do, how do you quantify who you are? Is it by the opinions of others? Is it by what your coworkers say? Your family says? Your friends say? If it is, then I'd argue with you that you actually don't have any security at all. That that's actually an insecure identity. Because it's a constant changing variable upon their opinions. Which will change sometimes hour to hour, day to day, week to week. Do we quantify who we are by our skills? by our talents and abilities, by what we can do and what we can contribute to the world around us? What happens when you injure your hand and you're no longer able to perform the same? What happens when you no longer can do the same amount of work as you used to? Where you physically can't keep up? Or someone else comes at, at the job site and does it better. Once again, this is an insecure way of affirming your identity. Is it by popularity or maybe perhaps the influence you have around others? Or the collection of wealth? Once again, all of these have dramatic variables that make it change and constantly fluctuate. And if you're basing your identity on those things, you're not on a secure, solid foundation. Surely your personality, though, at least. Psychological testing will show that your personality and the way that you act actually fluctuates depending on who you're with. Even in your very day, the way you perform, the way you act, the way you, you tell a joke... The way you respond, it changes on who you're with and the relationship you have with them. Once again, not exactly a constant variable. How do we quantify who we are? This verse in Hebrews, that we have this hope, our eternity in Christ, that we are marked when we receive Jesus in our lives, that we are marked for eternity with him. This hope is an anchor. It holds us firm and secure. This is not only a security for our future, but knowing our eternity and having a relationship with Jesus is actually a security for our very identity now and how I live in the here and now of my life. What I'm going to share this morning, uh, for many of you, maybe isn't going to be news. 
It's not going to be something maybe you haven't heard before. But I hope, like me, through this week, it is vital truth that God will again make so real to you. Because if we grasp it, if we don't only just intellectually listen to it, but we grasp it and allow it to to penetrate our own hearts and believe it and live it, it'll change you. It'll bring you back to what he always designed and wanted you to be. It'll take those parts of your life that insecurity tend to spew out of. And it will once again bring you back to that security, that hope, firm and secure. So again, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open to Ephesians chapter 1. Your Bible is an incredible tool. And I know sometimes we put the verses up here. This is if you, don't, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can read them up there. But can I encourage you, bring your Bible and use it. It's a tool. And it's like anything else. The more you use it, the better you're going to get at using it. So bring it with you. But we're going to read from the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to bring reading from the, uh, the NIV translation. It says this, starting in verse 1, reading through to verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. May God bless and bring life through his word in our hearts. This morning, I want to help redefine, for some of us, bring us back to, and for some of us, maybe for the first time, recognize where we find our identity, the security of our identity. We're going to be breaking down this portion of Scripture. There are five things about you and about me 
that I hope at the end of this morning we grasp and we walk away with. We ask God to remind us about. The first thing is this. You are chosen. You are chosen. Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In verse 11 again, In him we were also chosen. This word chosen means for someone to choose for themselves, to pick out for oneself. Just like Jesus chose the disciples, he called them to follow him. He has called you. You are chosen. This is actually something so simple, but it's so incredibly powerful. If you're my age, which is 36 or older, I don't know if they necessarily do this the same in school anymore, but I know at least when I was in school, whenever you played sports, and it was gym class, you always had to pick teams. There was nothing worse than being the last kid picked. There was almost a sigh of relief when you were chosen, when you were picked out. When someone would say, I see enough in that guy. He's got enough skill. I want him on my team. I never did too bad in sports, so that wasn't a thing that caused me great distress when I was in school. But outside of school, I, I've experienced that. When I was a kid, I, I played street hockey on my street, and that was the first, when I moved when I was six years old, that was my first kind of connection with kids in the neighborhood. And there was a group of kids, it was a new neighborhood, all new homes. So there's only a few homes that were built before us. And so the kids that were there, we all played with each other because that was who was there. But I was two years younger than the next youngest kids that would play street hockey on our street. And I'd never played before. I was definitely the last pick. I didn't know how to hold a stick. I used my dad's stick, which was two times as tall as I was. But the kids were really gracious. And they were kind. But when I got older, and I tried out for Little League, I didn't do Little League until I was grade five. All the other kids that played Little League, competitive Little League, they had been playing since they were like six, seven years old. And when, they did, when, they, when you went to play for a team, you had to do tryouts. You talk about anxiety. I didn't know how to throw a ball. We played in the church uh, slow pitch league. When I was a kid, that's what I did for my first few years. What that meant is that you had the ball on a tee, and if you hit it and you could run, you hit a home run. Short term, great for the self-confidence. Long term, really bad for skill development. So when I went in for tryouts for my first year of playing Little League, you had to, they send you out into the field. I bought my new glove from uh, Consumers Distributors. I don't know if you guys remember that store. It was a plastic blue 
Juan Guzman replica glove. If anybody remembers the old Blue Jays Juan Guzman blue glove, that thing was so stiff, you could put the ball in the glove and it would still fall out. And they, they have all the kids, first thing you do is you have to go show your stuff. So there's like 200 kids watching as one by one you have to try out. And the coaches are sitting on the side figuring out who's going to be on their team. And they send you out to shortstop and they start hitting balls. I don't know how to stop the ball. I can't catch the ball with my Juan Guzman special. And I have never thrown overhand in my life. You can imagine how well this tryout went. Coaches were fighting to get me on their team. I don't know because thankfully and gracefully, they don't say when kids get picked. But I feel very certain by looking at the talent on my team, I was the last pick of who was chosen. It wasn't really a choice. It was I got stuck. That coach got stuck with me on their team. Christ follower this morning, I need to challenge you. God did not get stuck with you. He didn't take you by default because you were the last one available. God's word tells us that he personally chose you. God chose us. And he didn't choose us because he had to. He didn't choose us because, eh, he wanted more players on the team and you were there. He chose you because he wanted you. Let that sink in for a minute. Because if you're like me, you're going to skip over this really fast. But I want us just to stay in this for a minute. God. The God that we read through Scripture, who by his very word spoke the universe into being. The God who by his breath brought life into mankind, created Adam. The God that created every animal who created the breadth of the oceans and the seas, who formed the mountains and the lands. That God who owns it all chose you. He chose you. You see, God wanted relationship with you. Before you were even born, God had plans for you. Before you even knew there was a world you could live in, God created that world for you to enjoy. He had a plan and a destiny for you. Have you ever had a friend in your life who is just infinitely cooler than you are? When I was in junior high, I had two guys in my life that actually, with only a little bit of relationship, made a huge impact. One was one of my youth leaders. His name was Kenny. Kenny was awesome. He was like 19 when I went into grade 7. And in my church, that's when you went into youth group. And I remember going for that first night, and we had a large youth group, and being completely nervous about what was going to happen. They don't sing Father Abraham at youth. It was a huge letdown, let me tell you, because there's nothing more doctrinally fulfilling than singing Father Abraham. But Kenny looked out for me. 
And I'm sure it's because our youth pastor told him to. But everywhere I went was where Kenny went for those first few weeks of youth. Kenny wanted to be my friend. He cared about what was going on in my school. He asked me. He would take me around, and this little pipsqueak of a kid, five foot nothing, a bulky 72 pounds, he walked me around, and wherever I went, I had street cred there because I was with Kenny because people cared about Kenny. It's similar with my, my friend Kevin. Kevin I had known when I was little and lived in Saskatchewan before I moved to B.C., and Kevin came when I was, again, around 10, 11 years old. I remember he had this, he, he decided he was, uh, Kevin dabbled a little bit in movies and was an extra on movie sets and did some, had some, like, two, three line movie parts. Uh, but Kevin came and he visited us when we were in, in BC and he was, I think, trying out for a part in Vancouver or something. I can't really remember. But he came and stayed with us for a night. And I remember Kevin was around 20. I was like 10, 11 years old. And he invited me to go in his car, which was a convertible, which for me was a big deal, and to go cruising for chicks. He said, hey, Joel, let's go cruise for chicks. If we actually talked to a girl, I probably would have peed my pants. Well, that just meant I was going to go and hang out with this cool guy, Kevin. And Kevin was like, he is the most charismatic, cool guy. He just makes friends wherever he goes. And it was so fun as we just walked around my home city and went to these different places. Let me tell you, I felt like I was 10 feet tall hanging out with Kevin. Once again, just people that would talk to me because I was with him. It was like instant street cred. It changed how I felt about myself hanging out with those guys. Guys, the God of the universe chose you. The God of the universe saw so much in you that he chose you. And he wants relationship with you. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 11 says this. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. Guys, if, if God has cared enough to reveal who Jesus is to you and give you the ability to choose him, God chose you. You are chosen people. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now, now you are God's people. Guys, you just aren't Kenny's friend or Kevin's friend. You're God's friend. You're not the no-identity person. You're not the depends-on-what-people-think person. You are God's chosen. And some of you need to hear this this morning. You are wanted. Because there's an enemy that's been continually speaking a lie over you. You are wanted. So much that God chose you. You are chosen. Secondly, you are adopted. Again, just starting at the end of verse 4 in Ephesians 1, just keep your finger in that 
portion of scripture as we're going to come back to it this morning. In love, he, meaning God, predestined us for adoption. Now, we're not going to be able to go into, we're not going to be talking about predestination this morning, but that essentially what it's saying is that God chose you before. He destined you for it. Before you were even born, God had plans in place. He already predestined that you would be able to come to know him. Seems impossible, but it is unless you're God. That God predestined you and me for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, meaning Jesus. Having predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose and his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. What does it mean to be adopted? In our common Canadian culture, it's really clear. The Adoption Council of Canada says this, Adoption is the legal and permanent transfer of parental rights from a person or a couple to another person or couples. Adoptive parents have the same responsibilities and legal rights as biological parents. In this biblical context, adoption represents being grafted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. Chelsea, in your testimony, an amazing testimony last week at her baptism, spoke about uh, the portion of Scripture where Jesus talked about how he is the vine and we are the branches. We are connected to him, find life through him. God has called us and grafted us into his family. Now, some of you maybe have gone through the process of adoption, and you probably know a lot more than me. But I can tell you this much. When it comes to adoption, adoption does not begin with the initiative of the child. Adoption begins with the initiative of the parent. Think about a parent that you may know. Perhaps you're like me, and you have family members who have adopted It never started with the child. It was a choice and pursuit of the parent. And with that, there was expense that came upon the parent. There's the actual cost. In Canada, if you were to adopt a child, there are costs that come with that. On the lower end, you're looking at, you know, somewhere between zero, potentially, which doesn't happen often, $3,000 to do a, a public or a foster care adoption. To do a licensed private adoption in Canada costs anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000. To do an international adoption costs twenty dollars to $30,000. Again, these stats are according to the Adoption Council of Canada. So there's, there's a, a, a financial cost that comes. Obviously, if you're taking a child into your home, there's a financial cost. In Canada, even just the process it, uh, to go through it has an immense cost with it. But there's also the cost of, of the time and effort. Again, in, in Canada, it can take anywhere from nine months to nine years for an adoption to go through. The process of adoption is arduous and costly. 
God chose to adopt you. Verse 4, again, we're going to keep reading these because I hope it sinks home like this has been sinking home for me all week. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world, before he formed this planet, God chose you. You are not a surprise. You may be a surprise to your parents, but you're not a surprise to God. He chose you before he created the world. And he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. The God who put every star in place, who uniquely designed every plant and animal, who controls all of creation, chose you, prepared you, and desired so much to be with you that he sought you out to bring you into his family. Folks, that's life-changing. And that's a core of who you are. The Greek word in verse 5 that's used for adoption to sonship is is a legal term. And it refers to the full legal standing of an adopted male in Roman culture. Now, there's great rights and privileges that come with being adopted today. If you're adopted into someone's family, you're probably going to take on their last name. You're going to be able to live in their home. They're going to pay for for raising you. But in the culture of the day, it was even more important. and It was even more foundational. See, your family, your family of origin, who you were had so much to do with your identity. You found your story and your purpose in your greater family story. Even today, if you, if you know someone who is Jewish by, by birthright and by background, there is so, uh, such a heavy amount of their identity that is put into that because it's about their story. It's about their family story of who they have become. My role, my value, and my purpose was determined by my family. And if you were a male that was adopted, as this term is referring to here, in the culture of the day, if you adopted a male, that meant all of your possessions, all that you had, would be passed to them. Your wealth, your very reputation came from your family. Your occupation was defined by what your family did. You have been brought into a new family. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read through this quickly. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive 
with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You now have a new name. You are a new creation. You have a new identity in Christ. And it is not because of what you did. It's not because of how good you are. It's not because I do this well now. It's not because I no longer make this mistake. But it is because of God's grace. Adoptive parents don't adopt because of what the child did or does. They do it because of their own love and desire. With that, being adopted, the third thing is you are redeemed. You might not be familiar with this term redeemed, but we're going to define it this morning. Again, in Ephesians 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. This term redeemed is, has a releasing effect by payment of ransom. It is essentially it would be the same as if one of your children were kidnapped and held and you paid a ransom to have them returned. That there was a ransom for your life, for your sin, and God paid that. You are redeemed. A slave at this time that the book of Ephesians was written could be purchased. Slaves weren't born into slavery it was those who could not afford to pay their own debt, so they sold themselves into slavery. They were purchased. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin or the cost of sin is death. In Romans 6.23, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. See, this is why we constantly talk about the cross of Jesus. It's because at the, at the very core of our identity of who we are, it is through Jesus that God has redeemed you. He has paid the ransom for your life. You don't have to do anything to make it right. You just have to receive the gift that he's given. With that, you are no longer bound by the rules nor the bondage of your previous life, the rules of slavery. But as the Bible states, you are a new creation, a new man and a new woman. Not both at the same time, only one of them. Let me clarify that. You are no longer defined by your past failures, but those have been bought over. You are no longer defined by the words liar, cheat, unfaithful, lustful, addict, selfish, aimless, worthless. You are redeemed. Christ follower, you need to be reminded of that. And with that, you have a striking family resemblance to your father. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that all of us, mankind, was created in the image of God. But we see throughout, as we move forward 
that sin entered the world. So we chose to sin. Sin came into our world, and with that, it tainted the very nature that we once reflected. But as it says here in Ephesians, when you believed, you were marked in God with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You are sealed, meaning that the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are redeemed. You are no longer what you struggled with. You've been bought with a price. Your ransom has been paid. So with that, you are invited. Again, at the time that, that this was written, to be adopted meant you were not only given a new name and live with a family, you were invited into the very life and mission of that family. That portion that we read earlier in Ephesians in verse 10, it says, for we are God's handiwork. Just like if you had a son or daughter that came after you and you would say, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Man, they're like their dad. Man, she's like her mom. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's the mission which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're invited into the family business. You get to know the colonel's secret spice mix. You get, you get in on the ground floor of knowing what is the secret Big Mac sauce, which is Thousand Island dressing. God's called you to be a part of the family business. Ephesians, not, again, 1, 9 and 10, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God made clear your role and my role in the new family business. We are invited to be a part of. We see it in Matthew chapter 28, which is to go out into all the world to share the good news to make disciples, those who also will grasp that they are chosen, they are adopted, they are redeemed, they are invited. Lastly, this morning, I want to encourage you. Part of the core of who you are is you are God's joy. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. That you as his child, when others see you, see him. When Jesus went on the cross, it says, but for the joy set before him. That joy was you. That God so wanted you. You are his joy.
Today is not who people say you are that matters. It's not what you do or how much you think you can contribute. It's not how nice of a person you are or how much you give to charitable good work or how many not bad things you're able to say I don't do or how much control you have over the things around your life. What matters is you are wanted. God chose you. You are adopted. God has called you, wants you to be a part of his family. No longer stranded, no longer separated, but part of him. You are redeemed, which means you are no longer a slave and a servant to the things that used to control your life. God has a new identity and freedom he wants for you. You are invited into the mission that he has for you which is to live out his joy and his love and to share his gospel, his good news with others. And you are his joy. If you are a dad or a mom, you know what it is to have joy in your kids. One of the things I've done purposefully is I don't really talk about my son a lot. I think it's really tough for pastor's kids. A, they hear a lot of stories about themselves and then they get made fun of later. But I also want to make sure that he has the opportunity. He's not a pastor's kid. He's going to be a son of God. Who he is has nothing to do with his dad or what his dad does. Let me tell you, on the picture there, you're going to see a little piece of artwork. Um, That is not a Van Gogh. I know it's hard to tell the difference. But my son made that, needed it by himself. Now, for the rest of the world, that would seem like kind of a waste of paper and glue and ink. But to me, it's meaningful because my son made it for me because he wanted to. And brings me great joy. I took my son on his bike for the first time the other week, and we learned how to ride our bike, well, our hand-me-down bike, Thanks, Kyle. To, uh, to the hardware store, because there's free popcorn there. And it was, it was a long process. Let me tell you, we could have crawled there faster. But man, gave me great joy. Gave me great joy watching him do that. And that's how God looks at you. He doesn't judge what you're doing and going, you could do this so much better. Man, you're missing it. You're not doing it well enough. If that's the voice that you keep hearing, that's not God. And if you are a follower of Christ, that's not who you are. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are redeemed. You are invited and you are his joy. That's the truth. That's who you are. Some of us need to be reminded this morning. And some of us perhaps right now for the first time need to embrace who we actually are. Because you've used something else to gauge who you are. So I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me. So we're going to conclude in a moment. Folks, I know this is simple, but it's also so powerful.
So I'm going to ask if you'll close your eyes this morning. This morning, I'm going to ask if for you, you've never actually really embraced that identity. Maybe you've even been in church for a lot of years, but you've never actually embraced that you are wanted, chosen, a child of God that's been paid for, that you've never taken that gift that God's already paid for, and you're still living for yourself. You're still living, trying to just defeat things on your own instead of receiving the free gift God has for you, that God so loved that he gave, that you can have eternity with him. That's you today. As eyes are closed, I want to pray for you. I'm going to give 10 seconds here. So when I ask this, I want you to be quick. That's you today. But I want to give the opportunity. That's you. I want to lift you to lift your hand. I want to pray for you today because I believe that God wants to bring something new into your life. If that's you, lift your hand right now. Yes, 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 yes. Three more seconds. That's you. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who've lifted their hands, and I pray right now. God, in their own words, can they repeat this prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you that you chose me. And not because of how good I am, just because you love me. Thank you that you called me to be a part of your family. I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong in my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for paying the price that I can't. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of the family business. I want to be a part of it, God. And I want my life to be joy to you. Can you change who I am? Can you allow this to be who I am now? Thank you. Brothers, this morning, you've made that decision, but you've never actually (laughs) lately lived that way. You're like me. And you've bought into other things being your identity. And specifically, this morning, I want to pray for those of you who have bought into the lie that you are not wanted. That you are not good enough. And you've bought into the lie of trying to produce and trying to make things right yourself with God, with a family member, with your spouse, with your kids, because you've lost control. God wants you to come back to him. Not to work at it, but to be rooted in him and who he's made you to be. And I want to pray, and if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand like this as I pray. Because I believe God wants to just pour into you newness, life, and identity. Again, Father, can you forgive us where we've lost it? Where we forgot again what it was about? Lord, I pray for protection over minds that have just been constantly bombarded with lies of the enemy that they are not wanted. God, you chose them. 
You chose them well before they made that mistake. You chose them well before they failed, well before they didn't do good enough, well before that fell apart. You chose them. You chose us and you wanted us. Can you root us again? Our identity is not our our race. Our identity is not our gender. Our identity is not our money. It's not our job. It's not our reputation. It's not our kids. It's not our spouse. It's not our house. Our identity is you. May that flood over our hearts and minds right now and may you cleanse. Lord, as you say, may you wash over your word right now over those minds. Renew and transform that we can again remember who we are in you. Root us in that. And may there be a new freedom in our lives today as we live, as we go out. Not to do, but to be your son and your daughter. And in that, then, to be able to be free to participate in the family business. Thanks for that, God. For each one, I pray this week, lead us and direct us to the people and places you want us to be. Not by our will, but by the leading of your spirit who is in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. Amen.